Well, today we are in the third week of our series, How to Pray Like Jesus. And so far in this series, we have had the opportunity to talk about some of uh, the most wonderful, some of the most incredible aspects of prayer, um, things that remind all of us that at the center of all prayer is a relationship. And like any good relationship, our relationship with our Heavenly Father, that requires practice, not, um, not practice in order to perfect something, um, but practice because it's, it's actually meant to be repeatable, practice because it's meant to be enjoyable, it's meant to be um, life-giving, that prayer is the way that each one of us um, draw nears, uh, draws near to our Heavenly Father. And just as though each of us have not been created the same, just as all of us um, don't have the same gifts or the same talents, um, and, and while it's certainly true that all of us are going to draw near to our Heavenly Father um, in unique ways and in different ways and with different expressions of that faith, um, the truth is, is that Jesus has given to every single one of us uh, a very simple, a very memorable, a very repeatable way that each and every one of us can bring the very intimate and personal details of our experience in life in this world before him each and every single day. From the, the most basic needs that we all have um, when we ask our Father to give us this day our daily bread, right, to the bold, the assertive, and the audacious request that the kingdom of heaven would come here that the kingdom of heaven would come now, that Jesus would break into the kingdoms of this world, that he would destroy the devil and the devil's work in us and through us and anywhere in our world every time that we pray and we ask for Jesus' kingdom to come. But see, the truth is, and you all know this, the truth is, is that sometimes the experience of prayer isn't all that wonderful. Sometimes the truth is prayer leaves us with more questions than answers. Sometimes prayer even disappoints us deeply. In Luke chapter 11, we read these very familiar words. We've seen these a couple of different times in this series. Luke chapter 11 verse 1 starts by telling us this. One day that Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, um, one of his disciples said to him, um, Lord, teach us to pray the same way that John taught his disciples. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sin, for we also forgive all those who sin against us, and lead us not into temptation." But what Jesus says next is absolutely mind-boggling. Because remember, um, the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Right? So Jesus um, could have said anything that he wanted to say immediately following this. He could have gone on and on about any aspect of prayer that, that he wanted to. Jesus said, okay, listen, you, you've asked me what to say, and I understand that. So these are some things that you can start with. But what Jesus goes on to talk about next is, in fact, what frustrates all of us the most about prayer. In fact, if Jesus had not said what he is about to say, then I might come to the conclusion that either there is something wrong with me or there is something wrong with God. Because Jesus says, this is what the experience of prayer often feels like. In fact, you asked me how to pray. You didn't simply tell me what is it that I should say when I speak to God. No, you asked me how. And this is how it feels so many times. Jesus begins the very next verse by saying this, then, 
right then. In fact, this is a very important word because it tells us that what Jesus is about to say is immediately is a response to what Jesus has immediately just said. Then Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight, right in the middle of the night and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Now, the disciples, when they heard Jesus saying this, they realized immediately, okay, um, this is Jesus telling us one of those made-up stories of his um, that he often tells to, to make some kind of a point. And, and the truth is, these stories aren't really um, always the easiest things for us to follow. And for us to understand what it is that Jesus is talking about in this story, one of the things that we have to understand is how people in the Middle East actually slept back in Jesus' day. Because again, this story takes place at midnight. And in the Middle East, in Jesus' day, just like in our day today in so, much, so many parts of our world, all the men and the women um, would sleep together, oftentimes in the very same room. Now, wealthy families would have a separate room for the women to sleep and separate room for the men to sleep in, but most families, most families had only one large sleeping room where all the men and all the women would sleep together. And they would sleep in rows side by side and they would all cover up with blankets in order to keep warm at night. And so um, if you've ever been tent camping, if you've ever been tent camping before, it was kind of like that, right? You couldn't stay up once everybody went to bed. Everybody went to bed at the same time and everybody got up at the same time. And so Jesus says there's this guy who's banging on the door and he's saying, listen, I have a friend who's come to me. It's late at night and I need some bread. Give me some bread. But then... Then the one on the inside of the room answers and says, don't bother me. The door, it's already locked. And my children are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. If I get up, I'm going to wake everybody up in the whole house. Now, at this point, if you've ever been a part of our church for any length of time, then you've undoubtedly heard uh, me or someone else say um, that because this is a parable, because it's a made-up story that Jesus told to make a point, then someone in this story always represents God, and someone in the story always represents you and me. And so the question is, who's who in this story? Now, we're talking about prayer because that's the question that we asked Jesus about. And so, um, you and I are probably, it's safe to conclude, the person in the story who's asking for bread, especially when we remember um, that Jesus uh, literally just told us that we should be asking our Father for bread. But see, then that means that God um, is the guy in the story um, who's asleep? The guy in the story who says, um, don't bother me? I'm sleeping, that, that I, you can't wake me up right now, that I, I, I'm asleep? Now, you have felt that at some point in your life, haven't you? Like God was sleeping? Like God just didn't want to be bothered? Like God wasn't willing to even open the door and you just kept asking and asking and asking? I mean, in this story, Jesus is presenting God as a person who's asleep, a person who does not want to be bothered, even to help a friend who's in need. Jesus tells us this in the very next verse. He says, I tell you, though he, the person inside the house, will not get up and give the bread 
to the person at the door, even though he is a friend. Yet because of this man's boldness, he is willing to get up and give him as much as he needs, right? Jesus says, okay, the only reason this guy's going to get up and wake up his whole family, it's not because there's a friend at the door. No, the only thing that's going to get him to, to get up and disturb his whole family, it's not the need. It's the fact that this guy isn't going to go away, right? And the word that we actually translate here as boldness in every other major English translation is in fact translated as the word persistence. In fact, in the original Greek, the word, it means shameless persistence, it means that no matter what happened, this guy wasn't going away. That he was standing outside of that door saying, listen, I know you're in there. I can, listen, I can see you through the window. Come on, just open the door. Give me what I need. Give me the bread. Jesus tells us that, listen, his impoliteness, his shamelessness is finally what drives this guy to get up, wake up the family, unlock the door, find the bread, and give this guy his bread. And disciples are listening to this and they're thinking to themselves, okay, Jesus, you can't really be telling us that that's what God is like. Are you? And Jesus says, listen, you asked me about prayer. And, and sometimes, sometimes this is what prayer feels like. Sometimes it feels like God is this guy who is unwilling to do anything, to do anything for you. Now, a little bit later on in Luke's gospel, um, Jesus goes on to tell another parable. In fact, this parable is about a judge, and Jesus describes this judge as being unjust and wicked. Jesus says that there's a city, um, and in the city there's a judge, and there's a widow who needs this judge um, to help her, but this judge is just like, okay, quit bothering me. I don't have time for you. But this widow just keeps asking, keeps asking, keeps asking, keeps coming after, coming after, coming after the judge, and finally... Finally, the judge decides, okay, um, just to get this woman out of my hair, right, I'm going to help her. And do you know how Jesus introduces this parable to his disciples? Luke tells us in the verse immediately before this that Jesus told his disciples this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And it's like, okay, Jesus, what are we even talking about at this point? Because, see, I'm thinking the way that we pray is a lot more polite. It's a lot more quiet. It's a lot more tame. Um, Jesus, you're talking about begging and pleading and asking and pounding on doors um, as if God is reluctant to do anything for us. And Jesus is like, yeah. Yeah, that is exactly what I'm saying because sometimes... Sometimes that's what prayer feels like, doesn't it? And see, what Jesus is doing for us in this moment by telling us these two parables is so incredibly important. Please do not miss this. What Jesus is doing is he is actually creating a new category for us. Jesus is helping us to understand that our unanswered prayer does not mean that our Heavenly Father is uninterested in us. 
Because there is perhaps no other subject that is as deeply personal, as deeply heartbreaking, and as deeply confusing as the subject of unanswered prayer. And because it is so confusing, because it is so heartbreaking, because it is so incredibly personal, Jesus doesn't simply talk about it. He doesn't simply teach about it. Jesus experiences it. Jesus lives it. Why? So that we, so that you and me and all of us, so that we can actually trust him when we're in it. One of the challenges that comes um, with being a follower of Jesus, and, and you all, um, especially you all watching at home, you're way too polite to ever say this. And so y- y- I'm just going to say um, perhaps what you would never say, but maybe um, you have thought like, like I have thought. Um, one of the challenges that comes with being a follower of Jesus is that Christianity is absolutely filled with a lot of very nice, very well-meaning people who really say a lot of stupid things. Like, if you have enough faith, you know what, you, you can be happy, you don't have to be sad. If you have enough faith, then you don't have to lose, you can always win. If you have enough faith in Jesus, you don't have to be like him. Right, that's stupid. If you have enough faith, um, you don't need to be poor, you can be rich. You don't need to be devastated, you can always be joyful. You don't need to be broken hearted, you can always be happy. If you have enough faith, you don't have to be like, you don't ever have to be like Jesus. If you have enough faith in Jesus, you don't have to be like Jesus. That's stupid. Listen, Jesus was devastated, right? It's okay to be devastated. Jesus was sad. It's okay to be sad. Jesus was concerned. It's okay to be concerned. Jesus experienced anxiety. Listen, not all anxiety is sin. The question is, What do we do? What do I do? What do we do when we experience these things? What do we do in these moments? And see, my great longing and and my great hope for all of you, right, including me, right, my great hope and longing would be that in these moments that you and I, that we would pray like Jesus, that we would actually talk to God honestly, right? God, this is scary. God, I am devastated. God, I am so hurt. What you do not need to do in these moments is pretend. Pretend that life is always easy. Pretend that life is always good. It's okay to say that life is complicated. It's okay to say that life is sometimes not all that joyful or happy. The problem with the whole idea of problem-free Christianity is that it's not Christianity at all. It's not Jesus In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see and we experience, we witness Jesus um, suffering at every imaginable level. Emotionally, physically, psychologically, even spiritually. Jesus actually says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Luke, who was a medical doctor, goes on and gives to us even more detail about this moment in Jesus' life. And he explains to us that that Jesus was in fact suffering from a, a rare medical condition called hematidrosis. When the capillaries surrounding, um, s- surrounding a, a follicle uh, actually rupture. 
And as a result of that, the individual sweats um, drops of, of blood. And this is a result of extreme, extreme anxiety and extreme distress. Je Jesus is suffering unimaginable levels of anxiety and stress in this moment. And so whether your struggle with unanswered prayer, um, it, it relates to a physical illness, um, perhaps mental health, or maybe it's a, a spiritual void where you feel like God has abandoned you. The truth is Jesus understands that. In fact, Jesus, the scripture tells us, has gone ahead of us and he shows us how it is that we are to pray in the midst of unimaginable pain, unimaginable heartbreak, and incredible amounts of discouragement. Mark tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus wanted his closest friends by his side during his darkest hour. Jesus didn't try to suck it up, right? He didn't pretend to be okay. Um, Jesus actually invited his closest friends uh, into his distress. Jesus even asked his friends to keep watch over him in prayer. There's a tremendous temptation for all of us towards self-isolation when our souls are deeply and profoundly overwhelmed with grief and with sorrow. We want to hide in those moments. Jesus is showing us the exact opposite. Jesus actively involved his closest friends. He, he invited them into his grief and he actively asked them to engage in supporting him in prayer. And see, the temptation... The temptation for all of us to isolate ourselves in the midst of our suffering, that does not apply only to people. Our friends are essential, but they are also insufficient. In moments of our unanswered prayer, that is precisely when we need to hear from our Heavenly Father the most. It's in those moments that one word from our Father can bring more comfort and more clarity than a thousand words from our closest friends. And see, perhaps one of the most remarkable and yet uh, I think underappreciated aspects of the four Gospels that we have is that these four Gospels record for us the words of Jesus' actual prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was in the midst of his darkest hour. And unsurprisingly, these words from Jesus have an incredible amount to teach us on the subject of unanswered prayer. In fact, the very first thing that Jesus does when we look at this is that Jesus, um, Jesus actually says that he is, he, even when he is overwhelmed to the point of death, the first thing he does is to anchor himself in his Father's love. Right? It's no coincidence that Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane um, starts at this point. Right? Jesus uses the word Abba, literally daddy. He didn't say, okay, God, if you really cared about me, then, then God, you, you wouldn't make me go through this. Um, no, the Father's love was absolutely non-negotiable for Jesus. And see, when we find ourselves in pain, tr struggling to make sense of unanswered prayer, and when there's, there's absolutely um, no, nothing good in the pain that we're feeling, we may wonder why it is that, that um, God doesn't just snap his fingers and, and suddenly make everything okay for us. But in those times of not knowing, when there is nothing that we're experiencing other than helplessness or hopelessness, it is tempting. It is tempting for us to doubt God's kindness and then to pull away 
from the very arms of our Heavenly Father. But this is precisely the time, as Jesus shows us, that we actually need our Heavenly Father more than ever. And His comfort, it comes to us through the support of friends, it comes to us through the words of Scripture themselves, and it comes to us through the experience, the experience of drawing near to our Heavenly Father in prayer. And notice that once Jesus reminds himself of who his father is in this very dark and very difficult moment, the next thing he does, this is no mistake, is to unequivocally affirm God's sovereignty. Everything is possible for you. If the first temptation that we face when we deal with unanswered prayer is to isolate ourselves, and if the second is to doubt our father's kindness, then the third is to question his power. And what we're doing when we downgrade our expectations in prayer, it's actually very understandable. We all do this. We all understand this if we think about this. What we're trying to do is to protect ourselves from the heartache of unrealized hope. But notice Jesus himself doesn't do that. And in fact, holding on to this truth, uh, this truth of his father's love and his father's omnipotent power, even in his darkest moment, this unveils a very powerful, powerful truth for every single one of us. No matter how hard it is to keep trusting when our prayers remain unanswered, getting rid of God's love and getting rid of God's power will not help anything. All it will do is make things worse. In fact, it will make things much worse. Right? When we try to remove God from the equation of our suffering, what we're doing is reducing ourselves down to nothing more than highly evolved animals in a meaningless universe whose suffering is without purpose, without hope, and without the possibility of rescue. But by holding on, by holding on to our Abba Father, by holding on to our Father in those moments, in the midst of our suffering, we are holding on to hope, we are holding on to the possibility of rescue, and we are holding on to the promise of life, even life in the face of death. It's at this point in Jesus' prayer when he prays what I would say are probably five of the most surprising words in the entire New Testament. Because at this point, Jesus actually asks God for an alternative to the cross. This is Jesus at his most vulnerable. And see, this is also where we notice that Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, it also mimics his own Lord's Prayer. But what we can't help but notice once we actually see it is that although the first two lines of both of these prayers is almost identical, the difference between what Jesus should pray in this moment and what he actually prays is rather startling. This is Jesus' off message. This is Jesus' off script. This is Jesus saying to his heavenly father, essentially, listen, uh, father, I don't want to do this. Jesus knows that the coming of this kingdom means that he must deal with an unbearable amount of suffering and pain. 
And Jesus is asking his father for an alternative to the cross. Some people would argue that this is actually Jesus praying unbiblically. And see, what we see Jesus doing in this moment is a reminder that even though when we face circumstances like this, oftentimes we're tempted to try to be brave in the midst of our own suffering and to pretend that everything is fine, when in fact the truth is we are falling apart. Or sometimes maybe we're tempted to, to, to try to pray or to say to God what we think we're supposed to say to God in those moments because if we're honest, we're trying to manipulate God and get him to do what we want him to do. It is hard to overemphasize the extent of which these five words, literally at the heart of Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, has given every single one of us the freedom the honesty, the permission to pray, even improperly, in the midst of our own unanswered prayer, in the midst of our own suffering and pain. And see, it's at this moment, it's at this moment in the garden when Jesus is literally sweating drops of blood that he finally relinquishes control. He may not want God's will, but he chooses it. And do not miss this because this is in fact an invitation for all of us into a side of faith that is rarely if ever talked about. This is an invitation to surrender ourselves to the will of God, not simply when it makes sense, not simply when it feels good, but even in those moments where it makes absolutely no sense. Even in those moments where it hurts us deeply. Now, I do not know, I have no idea what is happening in all of your lives, especially for those of you who are watching at home right now. I I don't have a clue. I wish I did. Um, And the truth is, um, the greatest compliment in the world that you could ever give me is if you were to tell me after church Um, that this is the most unapplicable sermon that you've ever heard me preach. I would love that. That would make me so happy, right? Because that would mean that your life is great right now, everything is fine right now, and these words don't mean anything to you. And so um, if that is true, and I really do hope and pray, honestly, that that's true for every single one of you here and everyone who's watching, I hope that's true. And so you can kind of just tuck this away for another day. But for those of you who are here or are watching right now and you are struggling with this and precisely the reason why you're watching is because you are trying to figure out how do I deal with my unanswered prayer with God? You're probably asking yourself at this point a whole series of questions that are probably just looping over and over in your brain, questions like this. God, if you're so good, why is this happening to me? God, why are you allowing this? God, do you even care? God, do you even care if I make it through this? And see, it's at this moment that for every single one of us who have been on this path at some point in our lives, we come to this um, this fork, don't we? 
And what we do is we tell ourselves that, okay, the path that I'm on is going to end up in one of two places. Um, and so I really only have one of two choices. And, and the first um, is to do what a lot of very nice, very well-meaning, very polite people do. Um, and, and that is just to deny um, what's bad. It's to say it doesn't really hurt, I'm not really in pain, I'm not really confused, and I'm not really scared. And so we just deny, 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 deny. The, the second, the other side of that fork is to say, okay, if this is where I'm at, and God, you're not doing anything about it, God, you're not answering my prayer, God, if this is the way things are and you're not changing it, then God, you must not be real, right? So I quit. I'm done. I, I, I'm out. I, 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 I tried it. I, I tried church. I tried Jesus. I tried God. I tried it. It, it, it didn't work. It didn't work. So I'm done. I'm out. But see, the truth is, and this is what I hope that you hear today. The truth is, there are not just two paths on this road. The truth is, there is in fact a third option. The third option is to do what Jesus is teaching us to do in the Garden of Gethsemane. The third option is to pray like Jesus and is to learn how to lament. It is to learn how to wrestle with God. It's learning how to say to God, just like Jesus said to, to his heavenly father in the Garden of Gethsemane, listen, God, I'm hurt. God, I don't understand. God, I'm angry. God, I'm scared. God, I'm confused. God, I'm afraid. The way that we develop true intimacy with our Heavenly Father, it is not by trying to live life on the mountaintops. It is to experience his faithfulness in the valley, even when it is the valley of the shadow of death. A couple of weeks ago when we began this series, I said that one of the things we were doing very intentionally throughout this series was to have a number of different people speaking on a variety of different aspects of prayer that are um, particularly meaningful to us personally, um, specifically as it relates to the Lord's Prayer, but just prayer in general. And if you know anything about me, then you know um, this is an area that matters to me greatly, that has affected me deeply. But I did not want you to hear only from me today. Because it is one thing to have an unanswered prayer for someone that you love, but it is something entirely different to be a person who has an unanswered prayer for themselves. And so I've asked that Autumn um, would come up this morning and that she would just talk a little bit about her experience dealing with unanswered well, when Joe invited me to speak about unanswered prayer, it brought me back to a couple seasons in our family's life. One was when I was sick, and the other one was when Joe was sick. It took me back to 2003. At this point, I had been sick for over a year. My body was full of arthritis. My arms had some, and legs had something called neuropathy. I would lose their functioning, and I would have to immediately sit down. Um, as you can imagine, we were overwhelmed. I was losing my basic ability to function and to take care of myself, let alone my two- and five-year-old boys. We were desperate. Of course, we had been praying, um, but it wasn't till now that I learned to lament. And by learned, I mean I just did it. 
I cried out. I cried out to God. Like Harry said last week in his message, you learn to pray by praying, while you also learn to lament by lamenting. I cried out over and over again, especially when I was alone. Of course, I wanted to keep that for my two and five-year-old, but also when I wasn't alone because I just couldn't help it. There was nothing else I could do. My family was exhausted, so I lamented. In 2 Chronicles 20, King Jehoshaphat laments. The people of Jerusalem are surrounded by a vast army. They look out and they see thousands and thousands of soldiers, and they know they're destroyed. And these armies are not going to just take over. They are going to really cause suffering. And he cries out to God. He professes the promises of God. He expresses his great need and his dependency on God. Guys, maybe that's what we wrestle with, really expressing our dependency on God. He says, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. And that's what I said when I was sick. I said over and over again, I have no idea what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. I said, heal me and I will be healed indeed. And these were my prayers I prayed for years. And then again, when my son would become sick for five years with Lyme disease. But this time I also learned to pray what Jesus prayed on the cross. Pretty much by accident, guys. And I didn't know if it was respectful to pray what Jesus prayed on the cross. To be sure, I know I did not take on the sin of the entire world. Didn't do that. But when I tried to explain how I felt to other people, they were scared. I felt abandoned even though I wasn't abandoned. I felt forsaken even though I wasn't forsaken. But when I talked to God about the disconnect between his promises and my circumstances, between my feelings and what I knew of him, when I spoke to him about that, that's the first time I heard him in months. He spoke back to me. When I lamented, he comforted me. When I lamented, he met me there and actually gave me the words to praise him. This book that a nurse gave to me when I was sick is full of my laments during these seasons, but it's also full of my praises. And I just want you to know not to be afraid to lament because often it ends in praise. And when you read the Psalms in the Bible, that's exactly what King's David laments end in. They end in praise. When we see Jesus, we know he is the way, the truth, and the life. Whenever Jesus shows up, truth shows up. And as a psychologist, I know you have to start with truth for healing to begin. Jesus lamented. We were invited to follow Jesus and how he lived. Wouldn't it make sense that we would be invited to follow Jesus and how he grieved? When I cried out and groaned to God and left feeling exhausted but connected, when I finally asked Jesus what, asked him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have I sinned against you and this is my punishment? Have you left me and why? Just why over and over again. I immediately thought I shouldn't feel this way. Am I losing my faith? But no. Lament is an emotional expression of grief. And often we have an overly rationalistic view of faith. Faith is not only 
a rational assent to a statement about God. It is also completely trusting our entire selves, even our disappointment, doubt, and depression, and despair to God. It's believing that he's there with us and will give us the faith we need to praise him. At times, we don't experience what feels, we will experience what feels like God's silence, but he is not absent. He is there with us in those places. We will be tempted by our enemy to think that he is either powerless or careless with our lives. But faith is trusting him that he is with us through those things. And lament helps us with that struggle. And it helps us to know that he's the one that can deal and help with our deep spiritual needs. Whether it's enemies surrounding us, a death that separates us, disease that takes us over, broken dreams, broken hopes, broken relationships, we can trust him to be with us through it all. To lament is not to fail, to have faith. To lament is to have faith in the middle of our pain and suffering. Never forget. Never forget that your Savior knows exactly what it feels like to live with unanswered prayer. He has felt that in his life. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the truth is, Jesus has shown all of us the way to sustaining grace. Because sustaining grace always begins not with my will being done, but with my reliance on God, on my Heavenly Father, that His will will be done in me, around me, and through me. I want us to practice submitting ourselves to our Heavenly Father in this moment, this moment of unanswered prayer. For some of you, um, this is deeply personal. Um, for others of you, um, you're right now thinking about someone and your heart is breaking for them. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to do this, we're going to do this three times. I'm going to kind of open us up in prayer. I'm going to give to you some moments silently for you to pray about this particular area of, of life, of unanswered prayer that you have or that someone that you know has. And then at the end of that, together, um, we are going to say those words, those incredibly difficult words to our Heavenly Father. Thy will be done. That is our act of worshiping Him. For you at home that are watching right now, I really want to encourage you to do this. If you don't want to do this out loud, I understand this, but do, that, do this with yourself. This is a way that you acknowledge, as you heard Autumn say, the reality of your pain and your grief, but also the reality that your Father has not left you, even though that is how it feels to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know that when we suffer, when we hurt, it's so easy for us to go into despair. And so, Father, we ask in this moment that you would make us people of faith, that you would make us into something that we are not on our own, that you would give us the faith we need to implicitly trust you just simply because of who you are. And so, Father, we pray for those people that we know. We pray for our family members, for our friends who, who need healing, 
who need a relationship restored, who need a job. Father, hear us in these moments as we, as we personally and silently lift them up to you. Father, for all the people that we know and that we love, together we ask, thy will be done. Father, for ourselves, we lay before you our private fears, our anxiety, our broken dreams, our hopes. Father, we know that you love us, you tell us repeatedly, you show us that you care for us, and we know that you are able to provide. We know that you are able to heal. And you've told us to ask. You've told us to be persistent. You've told us to be bold. And so, Father, hear us as we pour out our own hearts to you. Father, give each one of us the courage to pray those, those scary and terrifying words. Thy will be done in me. And Father, we pray together for your work in our world. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come we pray for all the people in this world that suffer silently or who suffer not having a relationship with you, not having the companionship of friends or family. We pray, Father, for all those people in this world, everyone in this world who does not know Jesus as their Savior, for those people who used to know him, but now who, because of their pain and their suffering, don't know what to think. They don't know what to believe. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would, in the only way, only way that you can, that you would, you would break through that anger and hurt and pain, that you would reveal Jesus. And for every single one of us who are here, who are in this world still, that you would give us the eyes to see people around us who are suffering. Holy Spirit, that you would give us words of comfort that we would speak your words and we would bring your healing and we would bring the renewed faith that only you can give. Jesus, that you would continue to use each of us and our church to speak and to spread the gospel in Jesus in this community, in our nation, and all throughout our world. And Father, we also ask 
for your forgiveness. For those times when we ignore those who are suffering, because if we're honest, we just don't know what to say and we don't know what to do. And so, Father, hear us as we personally and silently confess our sin to you. Father, we pray and we ask for your forgiveness. Make the words of the scripture that we read at the beginning of our time together remind us of the truth of those words that you are not slow in keeping your promises as some might think of slowness, but rather that your slowness is actually love, that it's the desire to see everyone, every single person in this world in a relationship with you, Jesus, as Lord and as Savior. And so, Jesus, we pray that in your kingdom, in our world, in this world, that your will, thy will, be done around us and give us the privilege and the honor to see your kingdom come. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.